Hey, ASM Middle School and High School, we're back together for this series you guys saw from uh, Mitchell last week. Um, we are in the Gospel of John, subtitled, That You May Believe. The reason that John wrote his Gospel is that so people may believe in Jesus Christ and that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And so we're going to dive right in this morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you choose to be watching this online. Our big idea as we look at John 1, 19 through 51 is this, that followers of Jesus invite others to come and see. We're going to just get right to our first point. Our lives point to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what our lives are meant to do, is to point toward Jesus. And so... I want you to imagine that you go down to Edmonds Beach, you go down to downtown and you see some guy who's down there and he's dressed in, of all things, horse hair. Like he has like wearing horse skins, like, you know, the things we ride on or some people do. Maybe if you're in Snohomish, you understand that a little better than others. Uh, but you, he's wearing horse hair and he goes, hey guys, I want everybody to come down uh, to the beach. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for a little bit. I want you to kind of hear some things. I'm going to baptize some people too. I'm going to dunk some people in the water. Um, but I want you to come and listen. And then he pulls out this like little Transformers lunchbox with this thermos, and, and which is weird in and of itself because he's a full-grown man. And he opens it up and you're like, what's this guy eating? He's already kind of crazy. Is he eating the horse that he took the hair from? Who knows, right? No, he pulls out these, these giant, I mean, huge, giant dried grasshoppers, like real grasshoppers. And he's just popping them down like they're Doritos extreme, right? Like they're just, he loves these things. And then, and then he's actually taping them. He went over to Costco and he picked up some of that local honey, you know, the stuff that we take. For those of you that have allergies, you really get this, okay? Uh, he gets some local honey. He's putting that in a little bowl and then he takes that grasshopper and he's just dipping it and eating and it's just like this is weirding you out probably well enter the scene of our passage john the baptist super weird dude eats giant grasshoppers and wild honey wears camel skins and is baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins and he is shouting uh, this message about some coming savior some coming messiah and this is where we kick off. We're with John the Baptist uh, in a book titled John. Mitchell talked about this last week. Not the same John as the one who's writing, but John the Baptist is the one who's going to be speaking here. And this is the moment. And John has this moment where the people uh, who are in charge of the religious establishment of the day the priests and the Levites, the, the Pharisees, they send a delegation. They send some people down to question John because John's gaining some popularity. And if he's gaining popularity, that is a detriment to their popularity. And so they send these guys down to question John. This is his moment to seize glory. I want you to think about this. We live in a society where we want to seize glory. We're all about gaining followers. Our social media, everything, it's like who has has the most followers. John has gained followers. This is his moment. The news crew rolls up and they're going to ask him about his followers and about him. What's he about? Who is he? This is his moment for glory. But what happens? John denies any glory and points 
to the long-awaited Messiah. John 1, 19 through 21, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John 1. We're going to be there for our time together. But this is John 1, 19 through 21, says this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. All John has told them here so far is who he is not. He hasn't given them any indication about who he is, why he exists, what he's doing. And so they continue to question him. And they basically say in verse 22, who are you? John replies in verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, he says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, John is saying something, I've heard it said uh, a couple different times by different Christian artists and things, that he's just a beggar like us who's pointing other beggars to where the bread is. He's a beggar pointing to where the bread is. And he is actually somebody who's saying, it's not about me, it's about someone else. It's about Jesus. John is way ahead of his time in this. He's years before Jesus utters the famous Great Commission statements that we hear so much about in church, that we're to be God's representatives to the nations, that we're to go and make disciples. John is doing it. He is a trendsetter. And he shares this testimony about Jesus just several verses later. This is John looking back on something that has already happened. So he's literally just sharing a testimony about something that has already happened in his life. John testifies about Jesus in verses 29 through 34. He says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, John has some things he says about Jesus in this passage. And so we need to unpack those because if we're going to have a life that points people toward Jesus, like John, we understand what we're pointing them toward. Who is Jesus? Jesus was before John, is what he says. He says, he is one who was before me. And on the surface, that seems, one, highly unlikely, and two, possibly flat out untrue. I mean, Jesus is John's cousin. We are coming out of a series in James just a little while ago where I said, wouldn't it be really hard for your older sibling to convince you that they were the son of God? Now, consider now, John the Baptist is Jesus's second cousin. How much convincing would your second cousin have to do to convince you that he is God, right? But Jesus is John's cousin, and he says that he was before him. And you're like, well, maybe he was born before John. 
Actually, no. In Matthew's gospel, we see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she finds out she's pregnant, she goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, who's pregnant with John and was already pregnant with John. John is born before Jesus. So when he says he was before me, what does that mean? He's recognizing that Jesus is divine. He is recognizing that he was in existence before John. Remember last week, Jesus was described in John 1, verses 1 through 18, as, as Mitchell spoke, that Jesus is described as the word and that nothing that is made was made without him. So John is saying that Jesus is among Uh, is God among us, God with skin on, God come to rescue us from our sin. In the words of the Gospel of Luke, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He was before John because he is fully God. And then he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He's the one who will save the world from their sins. He's the long-awaited Messiah that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and then is promised again to Moses, is promised to King David. He's promised all throughout the Old Testament. He is the perfect sinless man come to sacrifice himself on our behalf, much like what John is alluding to here, the Old Testament sacrificial system where perfect, blameless, spotless lambs were sacrificed for the sins of people. And then he says that the Spirit came and stayed on him. It remained on Jesus. There's another Old Testament significance thing we have to look at here is that the Spirit in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come in or the Spirit of God would come and rest on a king or a prophet or somebody who is doing something on behalf of God for a period of time for a specific purpose. But then often when that purpose was fulfilled, the Spirit would leave What's different about Jesus is that the Spirit stays on Jesus, signifying that he is the forever king and the one who will eventually, as John says, baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus will give you and I, followers of Jesus, post-resurrection, will give us his Spirit. This is who our lives point to. Second thing, we invite others to come and see Three times in chapter one, someone invites others to follow Jesus. And John the Baptist does this first with his disciples. John 1 verses 35 through 39 say this, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When he says this, look what happens. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Listen to Jesus' words. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, we go on further. John, right here, sees Jesus. He says, there's the Lamb of God. He says it again, right? The Lamb of God. And what do his disciples do? They turn and follow Jesus. 
Next, we see in verses 40 through 42, Jesus is going to call the first four disciples. Uh, Verses 40 through 42, we see Andrew. Jesus says, come and follow me. What does Andrew do? He runs and finds his brother, Peter, the famous Peter, the apostle Peter. Okay, at this time he's called Simon. And he runs and finds Simon and says, come and see this guy. Come and see this Jesus. I've found the Messiah. And he invites someone to come with him. Then we see Philip. Jesus sees Philip and says, follow me. Philip immediately runs and finds Nathanael and says, come and see. See, they follow and then they invite others to follow. This is the mark of a disciple, is someone who makes other disciples. I mean, I want you to think about how this might impact your life. Why do you go to church? Maybe you're asked that question. You you. Bring up, you're brave enough to tell a friend that you go to church on Sunday. Why do you go to church? Come and see. Why do you watch a, a message about God online? Come and see. Why do you go to youth group on Wednesday? Come and see. Why do you read this old dusty book that doesn't mean anything to me? Come and see. You see, what we're, what we're doing is not just telling people some knowledge about Jesus and who he is. What we're doing is inviting them to come and experience Jesus for themselves. John the Baptist, uh, Andrew, and Philip didn't simply tell people about Jesus. They said, come and experience him for yourself. And we get to do that very same thing. Our last point is that Jesus is the genuine article. If we're going to live lives where we are pointing our life toward him, because we know who he is, if we're going to uh, invite others to come and experience him, then we had better be sure about who he is. And these young men do not follow Jesus because it's, because it's the cool thing to do. Uh, this is not a post-high school graduation summer trip following a band that they really like on tour. That is not what's going on here. What is going on is they are giving it all up forsaking everything to follow Jesus. They're giving up their family, their possessions, their hometown, their friends, their careers. Why? I mean, I think so often, if you've grown up in the church, you see the disciples as you look at the whole, go- the whole of the Gospels and you see guys who just quite often don't get it. They're, they're, they're asking questions. It seems like they don't really know what's going on. And we can have this idea that they don't think Jesus is the Messiah from the word go. They don't think that Jesus is the Savior right out the gate, but they come to learn that he is. That's actually not true, and we see that here in this gospel as he picks up his first followers. John, to his disciples, verses 35 and 36, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, based upon the recognition that he was the one who would come and save Israel from their sins, recognizing he's the Messiah, what do those disciples do? They leave John and follow Jesus. Not because he's another teacher who they, and they're done with John, and like, we've learned enough from this guy, we're gonna go follow somebody else. No, because they believe that Jesus Jesus is the promised one. Then we have Andrew to Peter in verses 41 and 42. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, the promised one. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew knew what he thought about Jesus. And it wasn't that Jesus was a good teacher. It wasn't that Jesus was just some new guy to follow and learn some things from. It wasn't that Jesus was just the new hot thing passing through town. It was that 
Jesus was the Messiah. Philip to Nathanael, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, initially, Nathanael, his response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? I want you to think about that, like, can anything good, uh, I don't know, just think of a town, like, can anything good come from Everett? I don't know, downtown Everett? I don't know. Can anything good come from Casino Row? I mean, that's, that's what he's asking. Can anything good come from there? And, and Nathanael's not sold out initially, but then he has an encounter with Jesus, and notice Nathanael's response. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael's recognition of who he is, understand there is no king of Israel at this time. What he's recognizing is you are of the line of David, the promised king who will sit on David's throne forever. He's recognizing something about Jesus that is huge and we ought not to miss it. We need to understand that Jesus is the genuine article, which is why we invite others to come and see, which is why our lives point toward him. And so as we, as we look at this passage, here's the questions I want you to wrestle with. The, the question I'm going to ask you every time I teach, I'm going to start with this one, so just you should get used to this one, is just why does any of this matter? Why does it matter? Why are we talking about this? What have you heard from this, from this passage? What have you read here? And why does it ultimately matter? And then the second question is this, if Jesus is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world as John the Baptist declares, how should this impact us and our relational world? And what might need to change in our lives in order for our lives to point toward Jesus rather than ourselves? What might need to change? Is your life right now all about the followers you can get? Is it all pointing toward you? And if people are giving you the attention, and let's say you do have a ton of followers, let's say you have a TikTok video that's gone viral, like what does your life point those followers to? When people look at you, do they see the you show or do they see Jesus? Guys, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.